Shabbat Shalom. A couple people. A couple people are happy it's Shabbat. I'm happy it's Shabbat. I'm happy that it's Shabbat and the sun is shining and spring is coming and that things are starting to bloom. And when you look at trees, it's not just dead branches everywhere. New life breaking forth. All right. Well, we have some announcements to go over for you guys this week. Uh, I want to make sure that we get everybody read in um, on some of the things that are going on. Uh, this week's portion is Vayikra. Um, today's teacher is Chris Knight, and then Daniel Musson will be doing the first five. Um, we thank you for being here. Um, want to let everybody know we are just about a week and a half away from uh, Pesach. And so uh, if this is your first Pesach, if you do not have a place to do the Passover and celebrate that, please come and get with us, get with the leadership, get with, uh, get with Carlos or myself or Ephraim or Daniel. Um, we definitely want to have you be involved in, in Pesach's someplace. And so if you need a place to go and you don't already have a place to go, please come see us. We want to definitely get you uh, included with that. Um, the spring feasts are such a joy and uh, we don't want anybody to miss out on that. We're going to fast forward some feasts very quickly and talk to you about Shavuot. HFF will not be having service on Memorial Day weekend. We are going to be closing down our services and going and taking a part of Lion and Lamb's Feast of Shavuot weekend. Uh, that's right. It's not just one day. It's three days. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, it's down at the NCED uh, Hotel and Conference Center off of Highway 9. Uh, it's a fantastic weekend. Uh, this will be our third year doing it at, at the NCED place. The facility is fabulous. They treat all of us very, very nicely. And it's a great weekend of fellowship. Uh, and we get to conclude the counting of the Omer uh, for that weekend. So um, if you haven't already, please do go register at ShavuotEvent.com for that. And then we're going to fast forward all the way through the beautiful weather of the summer, the Oklahoma tornadoes in May and June. And we're going to fast forward to the fall, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And the registration is already open for that. I know last year there was a lot of new people who had never uh, been to the Feast of Tabernacles before and came out for guest pass and that and were interested in making sure to reserve their spot this year. Um, please do go register at tabernaclesevent.com. Um, Chandler is, is a wonderful city. It's a wonderful park. Lion and Lamb has been doing this. I believe it's for 22 years. Uh, there's something for every member of your family, but you do need to make sure to reserve your spot because we do get pretty close to capacity every single year, uh, especially if you're going to have an RV or a pop-up or or anything like that. So that's tabernaclesevent.com. Um, I think it's uh, $50 will reserve your spot in the camp, uh, and then you have some time to make the, the full payments for that. And so wanted to let you know about that. Passover food drive. And this week, next week, we're all going to be cleaning out all the leaven uh, out of our house. Um, Traditionally speaking, most of the people try to eat it as quickly as humanly possible. They carb up as much as possible. We want to try to do something a little bit different this year. We want to try to take some of those excess uh, leavened agents that we have, especially if they're unopened. Please don't bring anything that's half eaten. But we want to get back to the to the homeless and those who are needy in the area. So next week, uh, we're going to have a box out front for our 
Passover and Unleavened Bread food drive, and it'll be right out there. So we'll collect uh, we'll collect food that we can take down, uh, food and shelter, bridges. There's a lot of different organizations in this area that um, that could really use our help, and people who could use the food that we're uh, we're going to either try to gorge down or just throw out. And so next week, if you have any of that while you're cleaning out your your pantries, please bring that in and uh, let's donate that to people who uh, who have a need and help them with that. Um, April 14th, our guest speaker is John Diffenderfer, who is uh, the pastor of Mercy Collective, which is a, uh, a fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. He'll be here uh, speaking uh, on that Shabbat, and so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I think you guys will really, really like John. Um, we also have some some outreach needs from food and shelter, and so if you can get with Leisha and Stephen, uh, we definitely want to go ahead and, and try to help with that. Some of them still socks and stuff like that, especially for the uh, children's home in the area, and we want to be able to help with that. Um, we in the bulletin it says men's prayer breakfast for April is to be determined. It has been determined. Uh, the men's prayer breakfast is moving locations to Monty Judah's house, so uh, we will no longer be meeting in the Lion and Lamb B'nai Shalom studio. We're going to be moving to Monty's house uh, starting in April. Monty lives right here in Norman, and so um, if you uh, need directions or information for that, you can definitely see Joe Warnisher uh, standing there in the back. Um, not G.I. Joe. He corrected me that today. That's Army. He is a Marine. So uh, the Marine Joe in the back. He'll get you the information on that. Uh, it's my understanding the ladies have an outing tomorrow afternoon for a movie. So guys, uh, I'll be praying for all of you, especially all of the, all of the husbands who don't normally watch the little ones. So I'll be praying for you tomorrow while the ladies go and have their outing for the movie. The ladies prayer meeting is at the, uh, the Frickers home on the 25th, which is next Sunday. Am I, is that correct? Okay, so if you guys need any more information on how to get there for the ladies' prayer meeting, please go see uh, Roxanne Fricker uh, for more information. And then also want to tell you guys about our small groups. If you have not, throughout the week, this is brand new. Some of them started up this week. We've got small groups on the Book of James for married couples, everything, and a lot of different people who are leading that inside our community. So um, if, you, uh, if you want to do something on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or even Shabbats, um, there's different things for you guys to get together and with different teachers in the local community at their home. I want to let you guys know about one need that we have. Um, some of you who follow Facebook uh, saw it this week. We, uh, we have just been notified last week by Elevate Church, who meets here on Sundays, that they plan to be in their new facility uh, by Easter Sunday, which is April 1st. And so um, I know I don't, I don't like saying it, but that's, that's what they told me. But um, so April 1st, they're going to be going. Half of the equipment that we use for microphones and sound system and that, half of it is ours. The majority of it is theirs. And so um, they're going to be taking the soundboard and a lot of other things. And so while we've been here for two years, we've been sharing equipment. We're going to have to finally go out on our own and uh, and make the purchase for the equipment. We estimate the pieces we need are going to be about $3,500. Now, last week we started a GoFundMe online, and I think we've raised right around 1600 already specifically for the sound equipment for us. And so the Lord has been good so far. So you don't have to do the GoFundMe. You can, uh, you can put something in the offering. Or if the Lord tells you that's not what you're supposed to do, then that's not what you're supposed to do. But definitely want to tell you that we are trying to raise some of that money so that in the next basically two weeks, we can be self-sufficient when the other church is, uh, is out of here and we won't skip a beat uh, on our services. And so um, the Lord has blessed us. We're good. We have a place to meet. It's Shabbat and Hola 
provide for this need as well. And so let's go ahead. Let's stand up. Let's introduce ourselves to our neighbor. If we haven't seen him before, let's say Shabbat Shalom. And we're going to start our services with a time of prayer and then praise and worship. If I can get everybody to settle back down for a few minutes, I'd appreciate it. start the service today, uh, let's spend a few minutes or a minute or so and quietly before the Lord. Uh, we are supposed to come 
before him with our hearts prepared. So uh, let's take that time quietly to prepare your hearts, to uh, set aside all the things that uh, you've been worried about all week that are out there in the world. And uh, you're here in a safe place. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you a minute to come before the Lord and just prepare your hearts.
Shabbat on this set-apart time, we lift our voices high to proclaim that you and you alone reign over all the earth, Father. That you and you alone, Father, are worthy of all of our praise, Father. Blessed be your glorious name, whose kingdom is forever and ever. For you alone are Lord over all eternity. Clothing your honor and strength Lord, hear 
Jesus lifted on high. Hear the beautiful gates long to see you arrive. Father, how we look forward to that day. 
when you will wipe away all of the sin, all the hurt, all of the anger. And we will spend eternity praising you
where he led them out of the land of bondage and slavery. And even after they witnessed such a great miracle, they got to the Red Sea and they doubted again. But the Lord, who is ever faithful, split the sea so they could walk right through. Not because they were righteous, not because they deserved it, because He is righteous, because He is holy, because He keeps His covenant to a thousand generations. We don't deserve His graciousness towards us. We don't deserve His mercies. But during this time, as we're preparing our hearts for Pesach, if there's something in your life that you feel is an obstacle that you can't walk through, that you can't get around, there is hope. Because God split that sea. And God led His people on the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Not for ours. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and say, I am a child of God. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. My fears are drowning perfect love. You rescued me so I can stand and sing. The child. Father, we will not be entrapped by the fear of this world. For you have sent your Son who has overcame this world. Who has conquered the darkness of sin and death. Who rose victorious on first fruits. And will come back for his bride. We are no longer a slave to the fear of our inadequacies, Father. We are no longer a slave to the fear of our shortcomings. For Father, you and you alone are strength and our provision and our shield. You and you alone are why we are here today. May we never forget, Father, that you alone are worthy of all the glory. That you alone are worthy of all the praise and the adoration. That you alone, Father, you alone are righteous. Father, we love you with everything that we are. 
And we pray that you would be glorified in this place on this Shabbat. For it's in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, we humbly come before you this day. And Amen. If we can have the kids come on up. We're going to do the blessing over the kids. And then we're going to dismiss you guys to your children's class this week. Somebody, uh, somebody had read the calendar on uh, the website because I said, uh, we're going to dismiss you for the children's class this weekend. Because, yes, ages 4 through 12. All right. Let's bless all of these beautiful blessings this week. All right. Heavenly Father. We come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you, Lord, for a beautiful week. We thank you for the beautiful weather. And we thank you now for this time of Shabbat, this convocation that we have all together with our families. Father, we pour out a special blessing upon each and every one of these little children before us, as joyful and as happy as they are. Father, I pray that you would always give us words of wisdom The parents, the fathers, the mothers, any elder that has a chance to speak into these children, I pray that you would always give us words of life to speak life into them. And may we always share with them all the stories of old, of your words, your commandments, Father, and of the greatest story ever told, Father, of your salvation through Yeshua the Messiah. Father, I pray that you would make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh, make them fruitful and multiply, Lord, and cause them to rise up to be righteous leaders of their own homes and families and maybe even future congregations. And Father, I pray that you make the daughters to be as Ruth and as Esther, make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord, and may your words of kindness and your mitzvot always be in their mouths and in their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for all of these children for bestowing upon us the honor to raise them up. We know we are leading and raising up the future leaders of this movement, of this the next generation, Father. So, Father, I pray that each and every one of these children would rise up in accordance with your will. So we love you, we bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for all of these things. In Yeshua's name, amen. All right, kids, ages 4 through 12, you guys are dismissed to your class. Shabbat Shalom. We are entering a wonderful time of the season, the year. The sun is shining, the tank is clean, the tank is clean. Yes, I unapologetically just quoted from Nemo because I'm a dad. Sorry, not sorry. In fact, I'm the dad to the kid that made all the noise during that prayer. So, uh, you know, like father, like daughter, I guess. Okay, so... (laughs) Uh, anyway, um, so we are entering the time of year where, you know, everything becomes new, spring is, is, is right upon us, the, the trees will be budding flowers, and life will be springing anew, and it's very fitting, by the way, uh, oh, before I get to that, um, for those of those, those of you that follow this kind of thing, um, so... They have uh, spotted the Aviv barley in the northern Negev, and they're looking for a second witness in the Jordan Valley. So that time is upon us here, where very, very quickly, 
uh, we will have the biblical calendar renewing and and a new season of festivals coming upon us, which of course is, you know, our version of Party Central, okay? So, um, lots of fun for us. But, you know, the, the cool thing about this is, when we come to this understanding that the, the festivals are for us, and, and that, uh, you know, all these things apply to our lives, um, we have a completely different perspective on Scripture, because, just as we are excited about getting rid of the colder temperatures of the winter and the dreariness and moving into the bright sunshininess of the spring, we also arrive at the book of Leviticus. And we should be excited about that, right? Right? So here's the thing. So those of you who have heard me teach before, you've probably heard me talk about this topic before, and I'm going to repeat myself. Sorry, not sorry. Okay? Because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's because we get into the first parashah in Leviticus, which is called Vayikra, and he called, okay? And in this parashah, we see some things that, to me, are essential to understanding the role and the function of Messiah. And the reason is very simple. When we look at Leviticus and we see the first, you know, five, six chapters, it seems rather mundane. It's talking about all these sacrifices and... You know, the priests are to do this, and they're to bring the offering, and they're to do this with that offering, and, you know, you're to have so many, you know, ephahs, and so many, you know, uh, you know, lambs, and so many, uh, you know, goats, and so many this and that, and um, I, we don't have an operating temple altar. None of this means anything to us per se, right? Here's the thing that, that we need to combat, is that we would all agree, Yeshua died once for all sin, right? Okay? So, here's the thing, that, that understanding has morphed into, and it's perhaps ingrained to a certain extent in our thinking, that has morphed into this concept that, well, Yeshua did away with all the sacrifices. Because after all, the temple was destroyed, and there's no more temple, and there's no more sacrifices, there's no more altar, therefore that must be confirmation that Yeshua did away with all the sacrifices, right? Well, here's the thing, if we actually study Leviticus chapters 1 through 6, we start to understand that the sacrificial system served a completely different function. You see, in chapter 1, it talks about the Ola Kaban, the burnt offering. Now, this was a free will offering. It was something that you would bring for thank you. Okay? It has nothing to do with sin. It was wholly devoted unto Adonai. As the offerer, you didn't get to participate in that. There was no meal. You were able to bring in an animal, which, by the way, was significant cost to you, as a thank you. No other reason. Just a thank you. And it's burned up completely into Adonai. Okay? Then we see, in chapter 2, the Karban Mincha. This is the grain offering. Hey, um, was there any blood involved with the grain offering? No. So how does Yeshua's sacrificial blood atone for and replace... An offering in which there was no blood. Okay? The grain offering. Again, a free will offering. This was something that was brought forth. And generally speaking, these, these first two were brought forth when you received a bountiful blessing. And this was your means of saying, I understand where this blessing comes from. And I thank you, O oh my king, for having blessed me in such a fashion. Here is my way of saying thanks to you in a way that you have described is pleasant to you. Okay? So, now, in the grain offering, part of it is burnt up. 
And there's these aromatic spices that are put into it so that it, it rises as an aromatic scent in our presence. Do we assume, because, uh, you know, Adonai says, it, it arises as a pleasant aroma to me. Do we assume that he is actually sitting there with his nostrils saying, ah. No, but we smell it. And we understand, ooh, that smells good. Okay? And it's a, we, we then attach a positive experience with it as well. Okay? So, and then part of it goes to the priests. And then in chapter 3, we see the Karban Lazevach Shlamim. This is the peace thanksgiving offering. Once again, free will. Okay? These first three offerings, all of the first three chapters, have absolutely nothing to do with sin. So if Yeshua died, if Messiah came and died on our behalf to deal with our sin, what do those first three offerings have to do with it? Nothing. Okay? Now, in this free will offering, you as the offerer get to enjoy some of this. You get to have a meal in the presence of Adonai, right there in the tabernacle. If you're not a priest, if you're not a Levite, this is a real special treat to be able to get there and sit in his dwelling place and have a meal with him. Just like Shabbat. So then we see, as we move into chapter 4, then we get into something different. This is what we normally associate with the, with the, the, offer, the sacrificial uh, system. The chata'at, the sin offering. Okay? Now, of course, we understand that chata'at is, a, is an archery term which simply means to miss the mark. Okay? But if we read here, it says in verse 2, say, verse 1 is talking about this is what you are to do for the chata'at, the sin offering. Immediately following, it says when someone sins unintentionally, this is what you are to do. That same phrase, unintentionally, is repeated in verse 13, verse 22, and verse 27. Any question here about what the chatat sin is for? The chatat offering is for unintentional sin. Not intentional. Then we move into chapter 5, the asham, the guilt offering. This was uh, offered for four things. Number one, witnessing something and withholding evidence, so not speaking forth. Number two, touching a carcass or something un, uh, likewise unclean. Number three, rashly swearing a vow and then forgetting to fulfill that vow and then realizing it later. Or number four, lying or swearing falsely about something. These were the four times in which guilt was incurred. And it suggested that there's sin attached to this, but it's not called sin. But if we look at this, it says specifically, thus, verse 35, thus the priest shall make atonement for him in regard to his sin which he has committed, and he will be forgiven. So the sacrificial system here seems to work pretty well because he's atoned for and his sin is forgiven. The same phrase forgiven in Hebrew, shalach, it's repeated in chapter 5, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 13, verse 16, and chapter 6, verse 7, all in regards to the asham, the guilt offering. In other words, when someone sins unintentionally, chata'at takes care of that. When someone does something unintentionally for which they need to bring a guilt offering, it says that their sin will be atoned for and they will be forgiven. 
Here's the point of this. The Olan Karba, the burnt offering. The Karban Micha, the grain offering. The Karban Lezevach Shlamim, the peace thanksgiving offering, were not for sin. Further, both the Chata'at, sin offering, and the Asham, the guilt offering, were for unintentional sin or guilt. And both provided forgiveness and atonement for the offerer. Why Messiah? Why did he need to come? Because all that was for unintentional consequences. Unintentional sin. Here's the thing. The sacrificial system performed perfectly for the function it was designed for. It did its job perfectly. If we had unintentional sin in our lives and it was brought to our attention, there was a remedy. Here's the problem. There was zero remedy for intentional sin. Sacrificial system did not deal with intentional sin. This is why we stand in need of a redeemer. When you and I have sinned to confess before him, 99.9% of the time, we sat there, we thought about it, we considered it, and we said, there's the line. That's not unintentional. The vast majority of the time when we have sinned, we approach our king and we confess our sin before him. It's intentional that we're confessing. Sacrificial system doesn't do anything for that. And that guilt, if not for Messiah, would be hanging over us. This is the written word of of account that's against us, that he canceled out because of his sacrificial atonement on our behalf. This is why when we arrive at Leviticus, it's so important to understand that this all points to Messiah and our need for him. All of scripture points to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this this, ah, amazing time of year you have blessed us with. As we look forward to the quickly approaching time in which we were set free from our sin and our slavery. And we see this picture of you delivering us from our bondage into freedom. Father, we thank you for this time of year that is quickly approaching in which we will dedicate that time to you. And we will assume that we were there ourselves at that time when we applied the blood of a lamb to our doorposts. And Father, we recognize that it's the blood of your lamb, of Messiah, that is applied to the doorposts of our hearts. And we thank you that all of Scripture points to your atoning work on our behalf. We submit our lives to you. May we be faithful stewards in all that we do, that you may receive all the glory and all the honor. In the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. I don't even have to raise this up. Shabbat Shalom.
Everyone go, ah. Um, don't you love Shabbat? My wife and I were with some friends last night for a wonderful Shabbat dinner, and uh, Shabbat's good. It's like the best, like, like, you know, bondage and legalism have never felt so good. Like, ah, Shabbat. Um, I'm happy it's Shabbat. So today, we are going to be talking about um, how faith works. Everyone say that with me. Faith works. I was inspired by Profix, uh, Philip, as you can tell. Um, faith works. Now, when we're talking today, we're not talking, when I use the term faith, I'm not uh, using the term faith as like trust or belief or how the word faith would usually be used. Um, I'm using the word faith as in the, the whole shebang. Our entire set of beliefs, our community, the the actions and rituals and things that are associated with how we then uh, view that faith and live out that faith, um, our our entire faith system, you know, what faith is about. When when you say, you know, you are of a certain faith, the whole thing, that's what I'm talking about. Faith works. At least it should. Any faith worth having the faith that we should be striving for, the faith that we should have, works. Um, I was so blessed as a kid growing up, and I was really spoiled that I had uh, uh, and have uh, two of the most amazing grandparents in the world. Uh, they, were, they were pastors growing up, and they did a lot for the community. They did a lot of stuff in ministry, and... Um, as a kid, I really got to look up to them and see what they did and, and just be inspired by their actions. Um, but something that was really regular in our faith community, in our church, in our congregation, they also had a, a nonprofit that they worked uh, all throughout the week, is that I, I got to see firsthand how faith worked. We had drug addicts who would be set free from addictions who, you know, maybe they they didn't have parents, they didn't have family, they had ruined all their relationships, or their relationships were ones where, you know, they were in prison or or still in a bad place. And they had a place to go. They had a place to be set free. They had a place where, even though because of their actions, every other place in the world rejected them and cast them aside, God extended his hand of love, and was able to redeem and restore who they were. I was blessed that um, growing up I, I uh, got to experience a faith community where um, you know, people who just had nothing could, could turn to their community and have their needs met and have a place where they, they had hope, where you know, every other, other place would, would um, not be a place where they could have hope and have their needs met and... and get what they need, they could turn to God, they could turn to faith, they could turn to their faith community. I'm really excited about all the things HFF is doing because HFF is like headed in that direction where we have more and more and we're helping people's needs and we're looking out for one another as a family and now we have things for married people, for not married people, for guys, for ladies, you know. Um, and, and that is what faith is all about. Faith works. And when Yeshua showed up to model after us the perfect faith, he came into a time where faith was broken and faith wasn't working. He came into a time where there was corruption, where there was abuse, where there was hypocrisy. 
And as a result of the faith, the religious authority, the political authority of his day being broken, there were a lot of people in need and not a whole lot of places they can go and they could turn. So when Yeshua came, they called it good news. People who didn't have bread had bread. People who didn't have a friend had a friend. People who thought, because of the poor portrayal of the religious authority, that God had abandoned them, there was no hope. God literally came out, stretched out his hand, and they had hope. And they had a way back. It was good news. Yeshua came, and he met the needs of the people. Faith worked. I say this, uh, I was reading in Titus. And if you guys will go with me to the uh, book of Titus. Now Titus is one of three um, letters, three epistles, known as, it's kind of known, kind of classified as the pastoral epistles. Because Titus, unlike uh, a lot of Paul's other letters, wasn't um, just written to a community in general and just kind of uh, you know, written to a group of people. Titus is one of the letters where Paul is writing specifically uh, to someone he's discipling. Right? We have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we have Titus, where Paul is writing to uh, leadership he is raising up and giving them the advice and counsel that they need to be strong leaders, to be good disciples of Yeshua, and to be leaders of whatever community they're going and impacting and being a part of. But I think it, it still has a lot of uh, beautiful wisdom for us on the outside, looking into what, what Paul is encouraging one of his disciples in. So if we go to the letter to Titus and chapter 3. Titus is all about how faith actually it works like it does its job. Which is cool. Aren't you glad faith works? I mean, what would be the point if faith didn't work? Right? It, it would just be some, some sort of weird club where we blow horns at the moon and dance in circles and things. Um, but in Titus chapter 3, maybe I do need to raise it. Um, it's, he says this, and I'm going to start at the very beginning. He's, he's in the middle of encouraging him on how to encourage other people and leadership elders and things like that. And he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, and to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Yeshua the Messiah, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? To good works or to good deeds. Faith, what? Faith works. 
He's explaining how God has done something miraculous, and guess what? It works, and now we get to go and do that work. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a por- uh, person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. It's like, oh, snap, right? <laughs> Dang. Ooh, ooh. That was, that was intense, you know? Okay, if someone's causing trouble and, you know, getting all these things one once, one twice, three strikes, you're out. Um, we find ourselves almost in a very similar situation that the early disciples, that Yeshua, that Paul found themselves in. We live in, you know, pretty much the world power of the day. We, we live in one of the most prosperous, successful, you know, front-of-the-line nations that has ever existed on the, on the face of the earth. Um, where did they live? Rome, right? Under the Roman Empire. We consider ourselves kind of not home yet, right? Do you consider yourself not home yet? There's a longing for the kingdom of God. There's a longing that, you know, this is not the final destination. This is not, you know, we're, king, we're citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost. And we know that just like, you know, the children of Israel left, we, we, there's, this, there's this other destination, there's this other place. Well, they felt the very same way. They were in the land of Israel, but you know they're under Roman authority. They're under Roman occupation. It's like, we're here, but we're not here. There's more. We're waiting on the Messiah. They had political controversy and fighting and, and divisions and, and all these things. And we have all sorts of craziness right, in our own lives, in our own countries. And a lot of times we get swept up and we get caught up into that. Sometimes we get caught up in that, into that too much. We, we invest so much to where we, you know, our team's right, the other team's wrong. Um, this is the solution definitely to the problem. When really the solution to the problem is Messiah. The solution to the problem is God. The solution to the problem is our faith. And although we are active participants in our political scene and in our country and in the the very real controversies that happen around us all the time, we know that first and foremost we are representatives of God and the kingdom of God. And ultimately that's where the allegiance lies and that's what's going to win out in the end. Right, just like in the end, it wasn't part of which you know Roman political system you aligned with and what your things. It's like no, we follow Jesus. He's Lord. And that's what wins out in the end. I don't see a Roman Empire anywhere. There's going to be a time where, guess what? Republicans, Democrats, America, that's not going to, that's not going to be a thing anymore. Right? The kingdom of God, that's what's eternal. That's what, st- that's what stands, and that's where we put our allegiance. And so as he said in the first few verses, you know, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Don't be speaking evil. Don't be quarreling. Avoid these things. Be gentle. Show love and, and perfect courtesy. You know, because we were stupid. We were lost. We were without God. But rather, since God has come and renewed a work within us, let us all be prepared to go and to do that good work to others. So when... A political, you know, authority or party is in power that we don't like. Guess what? 
we still love, respect, honor, and do good toward others. When, when the political party that we prefer, the things that we prefer going on around us, we still love, represent God, do good to others. That's, that's our first and foremost allegiance, and that's what we need to do. Um, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, and chapter 29, if you will. And verse 4, now Jeremiah lived in the period of time where the children of Israel were going into their first exile, at least the kingdom of Judah. They were going into Babylon. And exile is bad, right? Exile, bad, right? Ooh, exile, ooh, pagans, heathens, ooh. You know, they have Easter eggs or whatever, I don't know. Right? Babylon, you know, all the bad things about Babylon. They have Starbucks or whatever it is, uh, the Target bathrooms or something. I don't know. Um, pick, pick your view of Babylon, insert here. Okay, generally bad. Babylon, you know, you think of Babylon, you don't think happy thoughts usually. Okay, another great comparison to America. When you go through the Bible, really, America falls in line with like, right, Egypt, Babylon, Rome, Greece, whatever the main, like that's, that's how it is. And that's not like a negative statement towards the United States of America or anything. Like, but we have to put ourselves in, in the eyes like, you know, the Jewish people living in Israel, okay, uh, a, a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth is not something we, identi- we can identify as in our personal experience. When we plug ourselves in the biblical story, we're the Romans, <laughs> or we're the Babylonians, who just happened to have been blessed to get a hold of this message. Um, but so Jeremiah is living in a time where they're going into their first exile. They're, the Jewish people, they're going into Babylon. And this is bad. This is sad. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of crazy... I mean, the temple is destroyed. The, this beautiful dynasty where God sets up this kingdom with David and Solomon. It's, it's destroyed. It's gone. It's, you know, we failed. We fulfilled what Moses said at the end of Deuteronomy when he said, hey, you guys are going to go in, you're going to be prosperous, and then you're going to blow it big time. But in verse 4, after Daniel talks about this, you know, Babylonian exile, and it's not permanent, it'll be 70 years and all these things, he, he says this, Jeremiah 29, 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. His message to the exiles is, yeah, are you away from home? Yeah, are you not where you belong? Yeah, is that not your final destination? All those things correct. But guess what? You are God's solution to that people. That's always been the solution. That's always been God's MO. That even in the even in the midst of exile, that's another tool, that's another way God redeems the world. He says, you, my children, my representatives, people who are in covenant with me, wherever you may find yourself that's not home, make it your home. Seek the well-being. Pray for them. Seek its goodness. Seek its restoration. Make faith work. That's, that's what you're meant to do. Um, in Yeshua's day, or, or shortly thereafter, 
there arose, as there was already going on during Yeshua's day, um, a group of Jewish people who, who basically just wanted the same old, same old, right? The religious authority wanted another Judah Maccabee, wanted someone who would overthrow the Romans like they overthrew the Greeks and set up their empire. And um, when they kind of got fed up with the Romans shortly after Yeshua came and left, um, they had an uprising. They had a rebellion to go and to fight. And <clears throat> the Jewish followers of Yeshua weren't having it. Right? They weren't they weren't with it. They withheld. They followed the words of their master. And that's actually what caused a lot of the division and the split between early, you know, Judaism and early Christianity. Was the Jewish people who followed Yeshua were like, No, we're not taking part in this great rebellion and this, you know, that's not what Yeshua taught us to do. He taught us to love, to be a part, that even there's hope even for these Romans, and that when we see this happen, we're actually supposed to run to the hills, and so they consider them traitors. And sometimes we can get caught up in the, in the very real truth that this is not our home, that there is a final destination, that there is the kingdom of God, and all, all these things, that we begin to make that the sole focus of our lives and of our faith and of our faith communities. Rather than what Jeremiah encouraged the exiles to do, rather than what Yeshua encouraged his followers to do, which was to embrace exile in a way that you are the light, the blessing, everything that's good about it, to where you are God's pockets of solutions wherever you are, we begin to focus on further and further in the future and the final redemption and the kingdom of God. And sometimes there's a temptation that when we get into that mentality too much, we begin to not, we begin to disassociate ourselves with our local community or with Babylon or with the secular world. We say, no, this, we're really not of this world. In the Christian church, you see it expressed then in this idea of rapture and this idea of going to heaven. And uh, in a lot of Christian communities, faith becomes this thing where you agree with a certain set of beliefs, you say these prayers, you're a part of the club, so that you can go to heaven. So you'll die and go to heaven, or if the rapture will happen, you can go to heaven, but you know, not the, forget about the world, we're not of this world, right? we're going to go to heaven. In the messianic circles, we, we sometimes fall into this mistake also, where we make it all about, you know, Okay, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to you know, get out and escape? And how, how are we going to... And, and those are all true things and all good things, but then we get into these quarrels. When, when, Titus, uh, when Paul's writing to Titus and he talks about avoiding quarrels and controversies, I would submit that when we're not busy, fighting can happen. Um, usually when you're busy and you're going, and you're busy doing your job, and at work, you don't, you don't have a lot of time <laughs> to start being, you know, well, no, I think it's like this, and get bored and getting in fights and things, right? It's, it's when you're bored that you start to, yeah. Well, I don't believe that, I believe this. Well, this and that, and we, we get into our controversies. Turn with me to the book of uh, Isaiah, in chapter 65. Starting with verse 1. Isaiah 65, starting with verse 1. 
God is um, he's sharing kind of harsh things with his people and with Israel. And he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. And I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. We see this and other prophecies like this come true in the, in the days of Yeshua and the days shortly after. We see instances where Yeshua, he's going to Jerusalem and he looks at Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And he says, how I have wanted to gather you in and to call you my own, but you have rejected me. And this is not a, you know, this is not like an anti-Semitic or a replacement theology type of thing. But as we know, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, the Jewish people across the board, but the Jewish authority rejected the prophets. The Jewish authority rejected Messiah. God opens up the faith and we see Romans and Greeks and all these people come in and God says, you know, I will be, you know, used by, by uh, a people who are not called by my name, a people who are not a people. There are these words said in scripture, every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. When we are not working in our faith, and when our faith doesn't work, and when our faith isn't working, when nothing's being blessed and restored and healed through the faith that we have, God finds vessels that are willing. It's kind of a sobering thing. It's kind of like intimidating, but God wants to use us. But when we're not being used, God usually ends up using someone else. And I think we're on a great trajectory. And I think we need to continue in a trajectory where our faith works, our faith blesses, our faith heals. I think we need to continue on a trajectory where it's less and less and less about the mysteries and the secrets and the midrashing and the this and that, and it's more and more and more about the people who have nowhere else to turn. The single moms, the drug addicts, the broken. And I think God's really doing something through that. We can be on the side who rejects God's work because it contradicts our theology, like the Jewish authorities right, of, of Yeshua's day, or we can be on the side where our faith works, where wherever God is planting us, we are taking advantage of those opportunities right in front of us and, and, and healing and restoring and blessing, allowing the goodness that God has placed within our own lives to overflow to the people around us. I love what, what Paul writes to Titus here, and I think it's so... Um, Relevant for us today. Let's continue to to do that. Let's continue to let our faith work. Let's continue to have the vision and the goal and the function in mind. 
Because when something doesn't serve its purpose and its function, it's thrown away, it's tossed out. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to be that. We do not want to be that. Um, And so let's continue on that trajectory where our faith is working. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, God, we bless you. We thank you for, first of all, your love, your goodness in our lives, that you have um, restored and healed what is broken and sinful in us, and that you continue to do that in us. And God, uh, let us continue to be vessels of restoration and healing to those around us and to those who need it most. That as Yeshua said, Father, um, the well don't need a doctor. It's the sick who need the great physician. So let us go to the sick, Father. Touch on our hearts where we need to be, what we need to be doing, and where we can be busy for you. And give us uh, strength and vision to continue in that. We bless your name. In Yeshua's great name. Amen. We could all rise, please. And the Lord spoke in Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.